Well, good morning. Once again, everyone, welcome to the great outdoors uh, as we uh, find ourselves back here outside. Um, I wanted just to take a, a second. Um, I know most of you guys are probably on all of our, our email lists. If you're not, uh, let us know. You can email me, joby at lifemission.tv, to get on our email list. Anyone at home that maybe is not on our email list, um, you can uh, email and ask uh, to get on that so you can kind of know what uh, is going on, the things that are changing as they change. Um, and one of the things, obviously, the last you know couple months is you know we're indoors, we're outdoors, we're indoors, we're outdoors. And um, but I want to say something um, because uh, I, I said this in the email this week. But if you didn't get that, I just want to let you guys know what a great gift and privilege it's been for us, a, a blessing for us to be able to meet here uh, at this school. Uh, over the summer, when uh, all the schools were shut down at the end of the school year last year, and then going into summer. Um, all of my friends who are pastors uh, that meet at schools, and that's a lot of them, uh, they weren't allowed to even be on the premises of the place where they were uh, leading their, their church family in worship every week. Uh, but we had this, uh, we've got this great partnership with this school, uh, an, an administration that uh, supports us, loves what we're doing for the community. And, uh, and so it's been a really, really awesome thing that, for one, we were able to stream from the inside, even though it's just a, a, a small little skeleton crew, uh, but to be able to go from here where all of our equipment is, all that kind of stuff, uh, to be able to broadcast uh, back to home, then to be able to be here outside on campus in the summertime when all the other schools were still not letting uh, anyone in, even a lot of times, even their own teachers, let alone, you know, strangers like us kind of walking around the campus and we're using the copiers, we're, we're using their stuff. And they've been so generous to us to be able to allow us really to continue to meet together. Uh, we've been together uh, as a as a church family in this kind of way, either indoors or outdoors, since uh, since late May. And uh, when I talk to a lot of my friends that uh, are going through the same thing we're going through, they're just amazed that we've been able to do what we've been able to do, uh, because this is not the, the norm for most of the churches that don't have their own building. Uh, a lot of them, uh, they've had to either go to parks, different things like that. Um, and so it's just been really, really awesome. So though we're outside again, uh, we are just so thankful that we get to stay together uh, and uh, that we get to keep having this and have this, uh, this, uh, this school that's been so generous to us uh, these last, well, not just the last few months, but the last uh, five or six years that we've been here. Uh, it's just been an, an awesome uh, partnership with them. Uh, so we're very thankful for that. Um, and just on that note, too, just as you guys, you know, as we come and go, and we're, we're always kind of, you know, doing different things every week. Just make sure when you guys leave, just picking up trash, all that kind of stuff. Uh, sometimes when we get out of our routine, it's easy to kind of overlook certain things. So just kind of keep that in mind as you guys uh, go from here today. Um, also, um, oh, that was another on, on that note. When we do this, because now we're outside, we've got different space configures, we've got these pop-ups. It is really important for you guys to RSVP. I know sometimes we kind of, after a little while, we're like, oh, they know I'm going to be there. But we really, we need to know. We need to know when you guys are going to be here because of just the different layouts we have from, from week to week. Uh, so that's really important that you guys do that. If you come anyway, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll maybe let you join us. Uh, but, uh, but it's really helpful for us to be able to have uh, those RSVPs. Uh, before I jump into the sermon today, um, I want to just uh, bring up uh, the book that I've been mentioning the last couple weeks. I have, I have one right here so you can see it, so you guys at home can see what you're looking for on Amazon or wherever you're going to buy it from. Uh, this is the book. I really, really, really want to encourage you guys to pick this up. Uh, it's called If You Bite and Devour One Another. Um, it's based off of Galatians 5.15, which I uh, read, I think, last week. Uh, Biblical Principles for Handling Conflict uh, by Alexander, Alexander Strzok. 
And um, it is just, I, I can't say enough about how amazing this is, not just for the kind of, you know, maybe, you know, conflict within believers and, and within church, um, but these are principles for conflict in your marriage, uh, at school, uh, in your workplace, with your relatives. Uh, and I mentioned last week, as you guys are going into Thanksgiving and you're going into Christmas, you're going to be with relatives that probably have some different opinions than you on things. Uh, and so this is such a useful tool. I, it is so just packed and overflowing with scripture and scriptural principles. It's like, it really is kind of like a systematic theology book on conflict. Uh, so this isn't just for church conflict or politics or whatever. This is for everything. So pick one of these up or a couple of them. Uh, but, uh, and, and one thing I'm going to be doing um, just over the next few months, not on like a regular schedule, but uh, is kind of doing what we did with um, uh, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands a few years ago. Um, I'll just kind of shoot a little uh, video, just kind of a, um, a teaching workshop type video walking through some of the main points of this. Um, we'll also have a PDF kind of worksheet that you can just do on your own. Uh, but uh, I've already got the first one kind of uh, prepared. Uh, I won't probably send it out for another couple of weeks because I'm working on something else, but, uh, but I've got that one kind of ready to go. So soon, I want to get the first one out before Thanksgiving uh, because I think it'll just be good for us to kind of get some stuff like this in our minds and our hearts before we go off and see our, our relatives where we potentially might get into some awkward discussions. Uh, so the goal is to have that first one out by uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, so, but definitely pick that up uh, for your own, uh, for your own sake, for your own growth. Well, today uh, we're talking about light, talking about light. And um, John, uh, as he writes uh, his gospel here, he uses this word light uh, 18 times in his gospel. Uh, and then in 1 John, which he also wrote, he uses another five times. So it's an important concept for him. So I have a question for the kids. Kids, I need your help here. What does light, what are some things that light does for us? What are some different things? Say it nice and loud. What does light do? Anyone? Helps us see, all right. What was our summer over here? Makes rainbows. I did not even think of that one. That is awesome. It makes rainbows. Makes rainbows, helps us see. Anything else? I saw a hand raised back there. No? <laughs> and then a no. <laughs> uh, some types of lights, like, uh, like fire. What does fire do for us? It's helpful, helpful things. Keeps us warm, right? So light helps us see. Light helps us even see beautiful things like rainbows. So it lets us see color. Uh, it keeps us warm. Light is an amazing gift of God, and God has given us light for all these different things and even a lot more things. Helps us see, uh, helps us not trip over things when we're walking through our room at night, right? Stepping on Legos, things like that. Uh, but as we grow in our faith also, as we get closer to spiritual light, it's not like a, an on-off switch where you just walk in your room, you just Turn the switch on. And then all of a sudden, you see everything perfectly clearly. That's not how our faith works. That's not how spiritual light works. Spiritual light is, is more gradual. Uh, it's kind of, it, it grows slowly. Before you meet Jesus, 
you're in the dark. Spiritually, you're in the dark. But after you meet him, the light increases slowly. I see more clearly now than I did in 1997 when I first met Jesus. It wasn't just on, and all of a sudden, I have all wisdom, all knowledge. I know all the Bible. No, but it's been a slow increase of light. It's more like a dimmer switch. It's not just on off, but it's more like you turn the dimmer switch on and you see a little bit and you're going, oh, I I can kind of see some things in this room. I kind of know where the big items are. Now I won't won't run into a table or a chair, but I still might step on some Legos, right? Because it's not super light, but over time, the dimmer switch slowly comes up in your life. A few years into your faith and a few years more, more reading the Bible, more having friends that help you out. And all of a sudden you're seeing more and more and more and more clearly. That's how sanctification works. Sanctification meaning how we become more like Christ, how we become more holy in our lifestyle. That's how wisdom works. You don't just have perfect wisdom when you first meet Jesus. You grow in wisdom. And this is how we get rid of even spiritual blindness, the opposite of light. As light increases, blindness decreases. Darkness decreases. This is how we get rid of blind spots and arrogance, bitterness, all those things. The Lord slowly brings up the dimmer switch in your life, in your mind, in your heart. You start to see things that you didn't know were there. You keep stepping on those Legos. You just didn't know they were there. But as the dimmer switch comes up, you start seeing those those Legos, those spiritual Legos, and now you start sidestepping them. You avoid them because now you're actually aware of them. And crazy enough, Here's the crazy thing, and I, I know that for those of you guys who have known the Lord for five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years, as the light comes up, you realize your house is dirtier than you thought, right? I mean, ignorance is kind of bliss sometimes, isn't it? Like when you have low lights, you don't see all the dust. You don't see the cobwebs. As the light comes up, though, you start saying, oh, wow, my house is dirty. We don't like the, we don't like the light because it exposes the dirtiness in our homes, and even as Christians. We would say we love the light. We love the warmth it brings. We love the rainbows. We love not stepping on Legos, but we don't want to see the dust. We don't want to see the cobwebs. We don't want to see the the smudges on the glass. We'd rather just avoid those things. We're kind of okay with those things. As long as we don't hurt ourselves, we don't mind if there's a little dirt around. And this is why we avoid the light. This is why we avoid confrontation. Confrontation in the word, confrontation with other believers who love us, who are speaking into us. But here's the thing. This is the thing about this, and you've probably experienced this. You feel like, as you see more things in your life, you feel like you're actually becoming more sinful. You go, I, I thought I was getting closer to Jesus, but now I'm seeing more sin. I feel like I'm going backwards. Church, you're not going backwards. That stuff was always there. It was always there, but now by God's grace, by his light, you see it, and now by God's grace, you can fight it. Now by God's grace, you can be cleansed from it in your life. You feel like your house is getting dirtier, but it's not. You feel like you're getting worse in your sin, but you're not. You just see the stuff that was there all along. You just were walking in darkness. So today, we're going to see Jesus encounter The Pharisees, once again, these Pharisees who could not see their own sin, the dimmer switch was way down. They didn't have the light of God in them. They rejected the light. So pray with me. 
you open up to John chapter 8, we're going to be starting in verse 12. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our light. You are our warmth. You are the one who gives color and rainbows to our life, especially amidst the storms, all the, the darkness and the rain, but yet you create light that just gives us rainbows even after and even in the middle of storms. You bring up the dimmer switch in our life, not to condemn us, but so that we can actually be free from the darkness and the dirt and grime that's in our hearts already. You want us to walk free from that. And so you show us the dark parts of our life, of our heart. So God, as we get into your word, I'm, I just want to pray for all of us that we would be willing and desiring to have that dimmer switch be brought up in our minds and our hearts more today than it was this morning, earlier, before we got here, before yesterday, the day before. We want to see more. We don't need to fear what we're going to find because you're doing this out of your love. You're doing this for our own sake and our own freedom. We don't have to fear being exposed and seeing parts of our heart that we have been avoiding. We want to be free from this. It's already there. We might as well deal with it. But we can't deal with it unless we can see it first. So help us, O Lord. Holy Spirit, be our light as you lead us and guide us into this truth. By the power of the name of Jesus, we pray and ask these things. Amen. So John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, spoke to the Pharisees and the crowd there. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony isn't true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, and it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury, which is in the temple area, as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. We're going to keep going as we go, but we'll kind of stop there. As we look at the Pharisees, once again, are after him. And once again, they are stumped. Here, Jesus unveils the, his, uh, the second of his declarative I am statements. Somebody says, I am the light of the world. Is that phrase, that Greek phrase, ego I me. Ego I me means I am who I am. A reminder of this background that we're at in this situation here. When God first called Moses to the task of leading the Hebrews out from Egypt, Remember, the, the Jews here are celebrating the Feast of Booths, or the, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And 
the wandering of the deserts, what they're kind of remembering. Back in this time, going back to when Moses was first being called by the Lord, he encountered the Lord in a burning bush, a source of light. And Moses asked this burning bush, he said, who are you? And the Lord said, I am who I am. He said, I am who I am. That is God's name. It's his proper name. My name is Joby. God's name is I am who I am. Now, in your Bibles, I covered this the first time we saw an I am, but I wanted to kind of bring it up again. In your Bibles, when you see the word Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, that's like a title. So like I'm Pastor Joby, and it kind of denotes what I do. My name is Joby, but what I do in my life is I pastor. That's kind of like a title. So, the Lord, so God lords over things. He is, he is the Lord. It's kind of his function, his role. It's not his name, but it's what he does. And then if you see God, the word God, now that's a different word, that's Elohim, and that, that's kind of what he is. Like, I'm a man. God is a God. He's obviously the only true God, but he's a God. I'm a man. So I'm a, a man who pastors. He is a God who lords. And then when you see Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's a, another way of writing out his name, which is I am who I am. Sometimes your Bible might say Yahweh. That's another form of I am who I am. That's his name, his sacred name. So when you see all capitals, Lord, think to yourself his name. I am who I am. That's his name. This is why sometimes you see I am the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, your God. So it's like saying I am Joby, a man, or Joby, your pastor. Sometimes you say I am the Lord, your Lord. Right? He's saying, I am, I, I am who I am, your Lord. And so that's what he's doing. So when you see that, just know that that is his name when you see the all caps. And so here, Jesus says, I am. I am who I am, the light of the world. I am who I am. I am the light of the world. Now, what's the significance of this new I am phrase that we see here? What's important about him saying, I am the light of the world? Remember, we're still at the Feast of Tabernacles. We saw that earlier uh, when he declared, come to me if you thirst. Water was an important theme for the Feast of Tabernacles. And at this feast, light is also an important theme. Now, during this Feast of Tabernacles in the temple area where uh, they were gathering and uh, you're observing all the people being gathered, what happened during this time is they had 16 bowls, these golden bowls, that were filled with oil. And they were lifted up high, so only you could get to them just by a ladder. So you picture these 16 golden bowls elevated up in the air. And the priests, there were such big bowls filled with oil, the priests would take off their garments that they had worn the whole year, and they would use those as wicks. So they would dunk these old uh, garments, their priestly garments, in oil, and they would use these as the wicks that would light up this whole area. So you kind of picture these 16 bowls are kind of like, uh, maybe picture like the Olympic torch, right? When it's finally lit at the end, picture 16 of those. 16 of these golden bowls that were uh, in this temple area. Now, in an era, in a time when there was no regular nightly illumination, this light would bounce off all the yellowish orange Jerusalem stone buildings 
and the whole place would just glow. And this temple area with all these beautiful buildings and this kind of yellowish stone would kind of reflect and be light for the whole area. Jerusalem itself became like this lit up candle, this torch. It was on this hill, lit all of Jerusalem all throughout. And the Levites then, they would sing and dance with torches all throughout the city. They would sing something along the lines of, happy is every man on whom guilt rests, and he who having sinned is now with pardon blessed. So they would sing this song, happy is the man who guilt is upon him, but he's been pardoned. They would sing these types of songs. Now consider what's on the minds of these Jews with all these golden bowls and these torches. They're celebrating this feast that celebrates Moses going through the wilderness. They have in mind the very first thing that God created was light in Genesis 1-3. God's word says that his word is a lamp unto their feet in Psalm 119-105. God's word says that God's wisdom is compared to light. And they sing in their psalms, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And here now during this festival, they're celebrating how the Lord led the people through the wilderness. They're recalling when God first appeared to Moses as fire, the burning bush, and told him his name, I am who I am. And then the very I am who I am led them by a cloud in the daytime and by fire, by light in the nighttime. And that fire was even in the midst of the tabernacle that they had back in that time. And that fire lit everything around the tabernacle. And so now with these 16 lamps lighting up all of Jerusalem, the celebration of light in the darkness, Jesus stands up and he says, I am who I am, the light of the world. I am who I am, the light of the world. Not just the light of Jerusalem, not just the light of Israel. I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Anyone, anyone who comes to me, they'll never hunger nor thirst. They won't walk in darkness. I'm the bread, I'm the living water, and I'm the light. And by saying, by him saying, I am who I am, this is his ultimate statement of claiming oneness with God. Jesus is self-sufficiency, his self-existence, God's immediate presence in him, in Jesus. See, God's existence, and therefore also Jesus' existence, isn't contingent upon anyone else or anything else. His light isn't contingent on any other source of light. He alone is light himself. God and only God is dependent on nothing. God does not need anything or anyone. At best, you and I, we can say, I am what I am. I once was this, but now I've become this. And now I am what I am. I was that. And now I've become something else. I've grown in something. I've changed. Kids, I got another question about light. Okay, because you guys have done so good with my questions on light. We have different things in the sky 
that give us light. What are, what are those things? Yes, right back there. The sun. The sun gives us light. What else? What else? The moon. Perfect. We have two main sources of light that, that give this planet the, the, the light that we have. Now, okay, another question. Oh, Venus, that we actually do have lesser lights, right? So that's <laughs> very good. Now, let me ask you something. Why does the sun shine? Why does it shine? Where does it come from? Yes. It's on fire. Exactly. The sun is fire, right? All right. Now, it's getting a little tougher here. Why does the moon shine? Oh, my goodness. Yes, thank you. It's reflecting the sun, right? The moon's not on fire, right? The moon is not on fire. The sun's on fire, and the moon reflects the sun. We have two sources, two main sources, also Venus. We have two sources of light in our sky. We've got the sun and the moon. The moon lights up our night sky. The moon is a source of light for us, but the moon does not have its own source of light, right? doesn't have its own source. It doesn't have fire. It's not plugged in somewhere, right? It doesn't have electricity. But the moon does not have its own source of light, even though it's a source of light for us, but it doesn't have its own source of light. It just reflects a true source of light, which is the sun. So likewise, you and I, we do not have our own light. We don't have that. And we think we do. It's called self-righteousness. It's called arrogance. It's called pride, called worldly wisdom, our own smarts, our own accolades, our, our badges that we put on. But in our flesh, in ourselves, there is no source of light within us. God's word actually says in Romans that in our flesh, nothing good dwells. It's darkness. Kids, putting you guys on the spot today. Kids, did you guys choose to be born? Was that your choice? No, it wasn't your choice, right? You just kind of like, one day you were born, right? It's not our choice. This is something we were given life. We, can't, we don't just create life in ourselves. We don't just make it for ourselves. No, we're given life. We're given breath. And we're made in the image of God. This is how we've been made. And anything good in your life is a gift and a reflection of the image of God. So if you've got any goodness in your own self, any any goodness in your own flesh, who you are as a boy or a girl, man or woman, anything good in you is not from you. It's a reflection because you are made in the image of God. And that was given to you. You are not self-existent or self-sufficient in yourself. You didn't call yourself into existence. We are totally dependent. You need. I'm not going to finish that sentence. You need because you have nothing of yourself. Any light we have is just a reflection of another light. So at best, we are like the moon. Because I, I hope you always, always, always remember that. Adults, I hope you always remember that. At best, at your best, you're like the moon. You have nothing in yourself. You have no self-source of goodness or righteousness or purity or holiness. At best, at best, you reflect from some other source. We're just the humble moon 
totally dependent on another source of light to even hope to give light. And then, of course, we know the moon is not near as bright as the sun either. Nor should we ever expect to ever be as bright as God. We're the moon and God is the sun. And you are, and I am, I need to reflect and be like God. That is my job. That is the moon's job is to reflect the sun, to illuminate the earth so that we don't trip over ourselves. So we don't stub our toes on things. That is the job of the moon is to reflect the sun for the sake of us. But only God has true light and everything good in you only comes from him. But that is not so with God. He is light. He doesn't just simply reflect light. And although Genesis 1 tells us that he created light, keep in mind that he does not simply create light. I'll wait. But he is light. He didn't just create it. He actually is light. It's like how we know God says God doesn't just have love, but God is love. Love isn't just a character trait he has, but God is love. Light is not just something that he creates or gives or reflects to us. He is light. It's who he is. And he is just who he is. He says, I am who I am. I'm light. I'm love. He hasn't become light. He hasn't become anything. It's always just been him. That's how he is. That's who he is. He's always been light. Light that is dependent on nothing and no one doesn't reflect anything except for his own self. He is self-existent and above all things. So this claim that Jesus is saying as he's standing up in the midst of the Feast of Tabernacles, I am who I am, the light of the world, that is not lost on the Pharisees. They know that Jesus didn't just merely say, hey guys, I have light. They know what he said. And so they're going to challenge it again. So in verse 13, the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your, your testimony isn't true. But Jesus said, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. The Pharisees are challenging him because in their law, you have to have two witnesses to establish a claim. Jesus knows this. And he reminds them what he already reminded them. Because if you remember a few weeks ago, remember he had all the different witnesses. He goes, hey, John, the Baptist, he was, he was my witness. The word is my witness. Moses, my witness. The father is my witness. So he's already told them that he has other witnesses, but they've conveniently forgotten that. That's what we do. I was kind of convenient. We have selective hearing. And so they're saying it again. You're, you're testifying of yourself. This isn't true. There's only one of you. And he's like, so he just goes for the main one. He doesn't even mention John or the word or Moses. He just goes back to the most important witness. He says in 17, in your law. So he's saying, I, I know what you're doing here. In your law, I know that it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said, well, where is your father? Where is he? Bring him to us. But Jesus answered, you know neither me or my father, you don't know me. You don't know my, my father. If you did know me, you'd know my father also. So when they ask who this father is, he's like, hey, you don't know him. You've never met him. Seven times in this section, he tells them that he came from heaven. 
but they just don't hear it because of their blindness. Verse 21, so he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you can't come. So the Jews said, why is he gonna kill himself since he says where I'm going, you can't come? But he said to them, you're from below and I'm from above. You're of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, meaning I am who I am, then you will die in your sins. See, our sin blocks our view. It blocks the way. Sin has blinded us from seeing the light. Think about this, church. I am who I am has come down from heaven. He's come down and incarnated himself as one of his own. He's come down because as it stands, we are destined like the Pharisees to die in our sins. We are from below. We're of this world. We're just the moon. We're not the sun. Our thinking, our motives, our pride, our desires, they're they're selfish, they're worldly, they're self-centered. We're destined in ourselves to be separated from God because we don't know him. Because we don't have our own light. Because we're walking in darkness and our own blindness. And so here, I am who I am, who is the very light of the world, has stepped down into the darkness of this world in order not just to give light, but to actually be our light. They can't see the light because they're blind. The the dimmer switch is way down. It's actually off for them. In our own humanity, in our own flesh, we can be blinded by our own arrogance. Even as Christians, we can turn the dimmer switch down. In our own pride, even as Christians, we can turn that dimmer switch down or refuse to let the dimmer switch go up. In our own self-righteousness, our own self-light, our own opinion, our own wisdom, our hearts can become hardened and darkened. And these Pharisees don't see this light because as Jesus says, their wisdom is from below. They look through the darkened lens of worldly wisdom, self-righteousness, a distorted self-perception, and they think of themselves far too highly. And so they asked the same question that we ought to be asking also. They said to him in verse 25, who are you? Who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I keep telling you over and over and over. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard from him. I've heard from God, the father. And they didn't understand this whole time that he'd been speaking about, to them about the Father, about God. They're thinking he's talking about his earthly father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up, when you, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Now, I want you to know that that phrase, then you will know that I am, that's the same phrase in the Greek, I am who I am. It just doesn't translate that way here. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am who I am. Then you'll know. When you see me lifted up, he's speaking of the cross. He's speaking of his death. They were right. He was talking about death. He says, when you see me lifted up, then you'll know that I am who I am. 
and that I do nothing of my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Soon they're going to see him lifted up on the cross by their own actions, by their own condemnation. That will serve as proof that he is who he is, that I am who I am has come to be their light and lay down his own life for them, to die even in their place. Jesus himself would become separated from God the Father in that moment on the cross. He himself would walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He himself would die on the cross in spiritual darkness as the Father looks away from him. The one who is the light of the world will walk in darkness so that we no longer have to. God the Father is going to leave the light of the world to die alone in darkness on the cross. Not in his sin as the Pharisees are destined to die in, not in Jesus' sin, but in our sin. The light of the world is going to die in the darkness of our sin. For Jesus, he actually, God's word says, has become even our sin. So we can say that he has died in our sin. He did this so that you and I can have the light of the world, so you can have the light of life. The all-powerful, all-sufficient light of the world has come to give up his rights as the great I am lowered himself from his place in heaven. He did this in order to, by, by lowering himself, he served us and sacrificed himself so that we can be saved from darkness, saved from dying in our sins. Church, he gave up heaven in order to give us heaven. This is what the light of the world has done for us. Walked into our darkness and gave us light and took on our darkness on the cross and destroyed our darkness on the cross so we can forever walk in the light of eternal life in heaven. And incredibly, verse 30 gives us some great hope among the story of hardened, self-righteous, religious hearts. It says in verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. This lowering of himself doesn't just show us what he's done for us, but also shows us how we ought to respond as well, how we ought to live our lives as the moon reflecting. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Think about this, Paul's saying to the church. Think about this, church, because this is yours in Christ Jesus. The same Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God. He's saying, I am who I am. I am equal with God. But while he was here, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, something to insist on, something to, to, to uh, live in. But instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ didn't hold his rights or his esteem, the comfort of his heavenly home and throne. He didn't look out for his own self-interest, didn't have a life of self-protection or self-interest or trying to protect his own comfort. But he laid aside the blessing and the privilege of his place of exaltation and honor, and he stepped into a world of darkness and a world of sin. And even as 
John opens up his own gospel that we already read a few months ago with the reminder that even as Jesus stepped out from that place of light and into darkness, he was rejected. John chapter one, verse nine says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, his own people, his own creation. His own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, right? We didn't choose to be born, nor of the will of man. It wasn't the, even the will of your own parents. This was only from God. People who were in darkness were given the right to become God's children. So many, many have rejected his light. And this wasn't a surprise to him. It also didn't deter him from still coming, knowing that many, many would reject him. But he also knew that the laying down of his own life and his own rights, his laying down of his own well-being, that many would be saved. Many would be spared from dying in their own sin. Hebrews speaks of his lowering of himself for us. It says in chapter two, verse six, what is man? What is man that you're mindful of him? God, why do you, why do you even think of man? The only rebellious creature in all of your own creation, why do you even consider him and be mindful of him? What is man, the son of man, that you even care for him? Why? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Speaking of Jesus, the light of the world, stepping down, lowering himself, becoming even lower than the angels for a time. And now in putting everything in subjection to him as Lord, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we don't yet see everything in subjection to him. So right now in this life, we don't see, it doesn't seem to us that God's in control of everything. It doesn't seem to us that everything's subjected to him, following him, obeying him. It doesn't seem that way, because it's not. That's what we don't see yet. So we don't yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while, meaning his earthly life, he was made a little lower than the angels. He lowered himself, become lower than even his own creation, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You'd walk in darkness for everyone. So he now is our example. We don't insist on our own way. We don't fight for self-preservation. Again, looking at Philippians 2, we don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, we count others as more significant. Verse four, let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves that although he was equal with God, he didn't grasp for it, but he emptied himself. And we do the same. We're gonna see this coming up in John 13 when Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. I'll just read those verses. We're gonna get to it in a couple of months, but John 13, if I then, Jesus says, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. See, for some reason, we think that we have our own source of light. We have our own self-righteousness. So we think that we're above suffering. 
we, when, when bad things happen, we go, why is this happening? I don't deserve this. I deserve better. Do you think Jesus ever said that? Do you think he ever thought to himself, why is this happening to me? I deserve better than this. I'm God. No, he didn't grasp equality with God. He didn't look at that and say, hey, I'm God. I don't deserve this. He didn't. That wasn't in his mind and his heart. We think we're above laying down our rights for the sake of others. I shouldn't have to do this. I have rights. You think that's the attitude of Jesus, who is God himself and humbly became like a lowly slave and washed the dirty feet of sinners? You think in that moment, he's saying, I shouldn't have to do this. I have rights. I'm, I'm God. I don't think that was his attitude at all. We think we're above the washing the feet of others who, who don't deserve it. Maybe we'll wash the feet of the people we love. We'll, we'll do that. Our, our friends, our family, we'll serve them a little bit, but, but not the people who don't deserve it. Well, you know, we think if I serve others, if I bless them, if I'm honorable to them, people who are mean to me, against me, who don't love God, who hate God, that's going to look like I'm just condoning their behavior. I'm just letting them win, and I don't want to do that. You think this was the thought of Jesus as he washed the feet of Judas? The one who was actually even an agent of Satan himself and the one who would betray Jesus over to death. You think he was thinking, well, I'll wash the feet of my friends, these disciples, but not Judas. He hates my father. He hates me. He's going to betray me. He's an agent of Satan. I can't serve him. That'll look like I'm condoning what he's doing. That wasn't the thought of Jesus. For us to escape this fleshly, worldly, selfish, self-seeking thinking, we need to come to the light of the world so he can shine in our darkened blindness and our thinking. One of the things that John makes clear elsewhere in, in his letter of 1 John is that part of walking in the light of Jesus means confessing sin. The Pharisees, see, they didn't confess sin because they thought they were fine. They liked the dimmer switch down because they couldn't see very much. Everything looked pretty good to them. They were above that. It was the other people that needed to confess. They saw the other people's sin. They saw other people's lack of wisdom, but they didn't see their own. This is why Jesus said, you guys are in the dark. Friends, do you go to Jesus to be your light? Or do you go to your own self-righteousness? your own wisdom, your own character traits, your own personality to be your light? Is that what you're shining out to people? Look, look at me. Look how good I am. I, I'm, I'm better than the other, this person, that person. I'm not who I used to be. Look at me. I'm, I'm okay now. The dimmer switch is here. I don't need to go any further. I'm pretty good. Or do you go to Jesus to be your light, knowing that there are parts of your mind, parts of your heart, parts of your views, that are still worldly, fleshly, colored by the world, colored by the entertainment you watch, colored by the news, colored by the social media you find yourself living in. Do you go to him to be your light so you can see clearly the sinful attitudes, the wrong attitudes, and then confess that sin? When was the last time you confessed sin? Hopefully to God, but also to people that you trust, that love you that will bring the light of the world into the forefront of your mind and your heart. Even though you don't want to have them bring up that dimmer switch, 
You don't want to see the dust and the fingerprints on the glass. You know you have those friends that are willing to do that for you. But we push back. We, we hold back. We don't want to hear it. When is the last time you confess sin, not just to God, but to other people who love you? Here's the passage in 1 John I'm referencing. Chapter 1, verse 5. And we'll close after looking at this. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, John says, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, we know him. But in that time, we're also walking in darkness, walking in secret sin. We lie. I'm not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, well, we have fellowship, not just with him, but with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of that sin. If we say we have no sin, like the Pharisees are, no, I'm fine. I see clearly. I'm good. If we say that, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful, and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. The dust, the dirt, the fingerprints, don't be afraid to have that dimmer switch come up in your life because he will cleanse you. He will sanctify you. He will change you. He'll show you the way out of that darkness. You don't have to be enslaved to that any longer. Your jail cell's been open. Run from those insecurities. Run from those fears. Run from that pride and that arrogance, the bitterness, the resentment that you hold towards others. Let the light come up in it, and he will cleanse you from it. He'll wash the windows. He'll clean the floors. This is, this is the Holy Spirit's job in your life, is to sanctify and to work in you. Let him do his job. Go to the light so that the light can shine in your hearts. You can be free from all these things that enslave you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Church, we have a deep need for repentance. We have a deep need for repentance and to not live in darkness any longer. All of us. All of us, we're in need of seeing the areas of blindness, the smudges, the dust in our lives, the way we treat others, the way we view our world, the way we view and speak about and speak to our enemies, the way we see our own righteousness and our own rightness. We need to humbly come to Jesus, the light of the world, and ask him to shine his light into our hearts. And I know that there's, there's areas of your life that you know. You, you already know you're holding on to certain things. The Lord has brought some conviction. He's kind of tried to push the dimmer up, and you kind of keep pushing it down. You know it's there. But just know there's also parts of your life that you even, you don't know that you're, you're harboring. You don't know that these objects are in the darkened room. You just, you don't see that yet. That's why it's called blindness and blind spots. But it's time to confess. And for the things you don't see, it's time to say, God, I know that I don't see something. Help me bring up the dimmer switch so I can see. I know I'm, I'm kind of pushing back on this. So I'm already going to confess that, but I know there's some other stuff. And in your time, there's one, one of God's 
great gifts of grace isn't just flip on the lights for us because that would be scary, right? See like roaches go everywhere and you're just like, you'd run out of the room so fast. But by his grace, he slowly brings up the dimmer switch. He doesn't expect you to figure out everything right away. No, it'll be, a, it'll be a, an eventual cleansing. But we don't want to be like the Pharisees. We want to open ourselves up to the light of the world, letting others speak into our life, letting others speak God's truth into us. But we have to do the hard work of confession, followed up by true repentance and turning from sin. Let's pray. Father, as we even appropriately come together as a church family in the light of the sun, we're asking God that you would shine not just this physical source of light into this courtyard, showing us the way around, but that your true light, light of truth, light of righteousness and holiness, would shine into our hearts, would illuminate inside our hearts the areas of sin, the areas of blindness, the smudges, the dust, the dirt that we either don't quite see yet, maybe we're in denial, kind of thinking it's not really there or hoping other people won't notice because the light is kind of dim in the room. But God, we're asking that you would slowly bring up the light in our lives so that we would see, so we would know, we wouldn't be still living in sin, unrepentant sin, unconfessed sin, hidden sin. Help us, Lord, to confess and to repent. Humble us. Let us follow in the footsteps of your son who humbled himself, lowered himself. We Thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, your patience towards us that you slowly bring up the light. Give us patience for one another. Knowing that the people in our lives, maybe sometimes we might even, we might see accurately, we might see sin in someone's life, but just we know that the struggle that's going on in their heart, because we have the same struggle. So we can be patient with others. We're digging the spurs. Digging in and kicking against the spurs and kicking against your conviction. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.